Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Thank you so much for letting me come. I want to start by just saying thank you to Homer and Lauren for inviting me. But also, Homer's been, like, super important in my little brother's life. I'm not going to go into this too much because then I'll cry. But, like, I've been praying for my little... I got saved at 22, and I'm 29 now. And I had just been praying for my family every day. And especially him because he's my favorite in the family. So I'm like, you better be in heaven with me because if not, it's not going to be so happy. So, um... He came to Homer's uh, house one time and he just really got along with him. And I think that was the first person that he identified with as like, oh, he's just raw and honest. He's not trying to like front me Christianity. I'm like, so I've just been standing here the past seven years. okay, but um, it was really cool to see him like open up to a whole new idea. And then he went to YFC retreat, which they own this building and. Um, he just like he gave his life to Jesus and it just changed everything so Homer and Lauren like thank you so much for your lives and the way you live it Um, and so just thank you for letting me be here today with y'all I my name's Carmen Lydia and I'm the executive director of a program called significant you and the way we started was we collect prom dresses and at first we would just give them to girls who needed them and in 2013 we launched a conference where they have to come to an all-day summit that's we call the biggest girl party of the year. There's pink stuff everywhere, food everywhere. And at the end, they get to go shopping for a prom dress. And we have four sessions. It's called Education, Leadership, Wellness, and Self-Worth. And so they come thinking it's just a secular event where they're going to get a bunch of free stuff. But our self-worth session is where we tell them about Jesus. So we sneak up on them, and it's really mm-hmm. awesome. And I really, my, my calling, I really feel, is God's helping me to help girls know their stories and share their stories and so today as I was preparing for what I would share with y'all I was really debating on what story to share what teaching to do and I've I've been walking with this girl Tamar in Genesis 38 for about four years and it it's been a journey and I never felt peace about sharing um, a full message on her story because I just really struggled with how much I identified with her. And so I'm gonna tell you her story because that's that's really what God called me to do is to tell girls stories. So the title of my message is gonna be Telling Her Story. And I, w- I really wish I had the time to like tell you like my background and how I got saved and all the amazing parts of my story, but I, I really wanna tell you her story. So I'm just gonna give you some fast bullet points of who I am and hopefully you'll get a vibe in If you don't, I'm sorry, just ask my friends and they'll tell you I'm a little extra sometimes. So I grew up uh, in an immigrant home. My mom's an immigrant and my dad was pretty abusive to her till I was about seven. So I really grew up in the toxic family uh, of that abuse happening. And then my mom finally got the guts to leave him after he did something to her kids. And so we left when when I was seven And so my mom was now a single mom trying to raise me, and she was culturally Catholic. And by that, I mean we had, like, the Virgen Maria on the walls. They're still there, guys. I'm still working on her. And it was like we had the Last Supper by our dinner table. And, you know, you know those culturally Catholic people. 
And so my mom, as a culturally Catholic person, said, you have to get your first communion. So she took me to the catechism to go to CCD. And by the third weekend, they told her, your daughter asked too many questions. If you want her to be in this class, you're going to have to sit with her. And at that point, my mom had a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So could she really sit with me in that class? No. So she pulled me out. And so that was really strike one against the church for me, against religion. And so then I, at 12, I became a rape victim. And the man who raped me had a Christian fish on his, on his vehicle. And that was like mega strike two on the church. And so at this point, I'm already non, non-Christian, non-religion. And then when I was 17, this guy at our high school, we were like the party kids, we were the ones who, the popular kids, and this crazy kid convinced us all in the summer to go to church. He bribed us with nachos and Frito pie and games. So if you want youth, that's how you get them to come to your church. And sadly, the church I went to was just very legalistic and uh, hateful, and, and it was fun, but it, the way that they were preaching the gospel was just not something I was going to receive because I thought I was a good person. So the girls at that church were acting slutty and being like double-sided and living two lives. So I was like, why am I going to live two lives when I could just live the one good life I already am living? And so I went back to senior year, stayed the party girls, stayed all that stuff. But that was a third strike against the church for me. And so I, I was now going into my young adult life, hating the church, hating religion. And one of my early mentors introduced me to Christopher Hitchens and some other anti-religious uh, authors. And all of their books, one of Christopher Hitchens' books is called God's Not Great. And it's just really, I got so deep into this hatred for religion to the point where I would fight with my mom at her own table about why she believed in the God she believed in. Like, if he was so good, why would he give us the life he gave us? Why would he give us poverty? Why would he allow me to be a victim? Why would he do all these things if he was so good? And I could just see my mom's heart break because she genuinely believed in something, in this Jesus that was like a weird picture on the wall. But she had never taught me who he was. And so, and anybody who I met who was a Christian, like, I was literally going to try to convince you that your faith was stupid and ignorant and ruining the world because all major wars, all conflict in humanity starts with religion. That's who I was. And then I started college, and I was sitting at a Starbucks, and this crazy girl who was, like, super in love with Jesus and was super nice was like, hey, you want to go to Devo Night? And I'm like, that sounds Christian. No, thank you. And I tried, uh, tried to just wave her off and she was like well can I get your number and I was like no I don't want to give it to you because you clearly are a Jesus freak and then she was like well can I get your email and I was like well I mean she can't hurt me with my email so okay so she just like emailed me time and time again she was so persistent and finally one day she was like hey I'll meet you in front of the Chili's at seven and I was like I can't leave this poor girl waiting it was cold I went and my life was changed and I surrendered to Jesus I met her in January. By the end of February, I had accepted Christ. And then I fell in love with the Lord. Uh, from 23 to 25, I was just so happy. I was in children's ministry. I, I was growing significant you. I was learning how to read the Bible. I started seminary. I, that was like the most innocent three years 
three, almost four years of my life. And then at 25, I got hit with church all over again. And this place that had become my sanctuary, my safe place, my church family, like my world, because I had literally like turned from my past and, and came into God's light. And it was so, it crippled me for the, the people that I had trusted to be my home. They were now the, like the, the ones gashing at me. And I, I, I'm not in a place yet to share like in depth what happened, but it was really like, I just got so mistreated by legalism and by gossip and, and by toxic church culture. And that really like took me into a place where I was angry and bitter. And I was so offended by people questioning my identity because for three years I had done everything right because inside of me there was legalism because I was performing to be this great Christian girl that I thought I needed to be and although that brought so much fruit in my life there was still some legalism that needed to be broken before I could really like walk in the fulfillment of Jesus and so all these gossip all these rumors started consuming me and I I am like so hood okay I know we're on the west side but I came from here and I'm all you know I keep it together I don't punch people anymore but that is what I knew so when someone messed with me that I my response is punch you in the throat burn down your house like wreck your windows you know what I mean and so when they were doing this to me and the worst part was I didn't even do anything to deserve it had I done something to deserve it, hey, then, then come at me. But I, I knew that I was innocent. And so I was even more angry because I was innocent. And I kept being treated like I was guilty. And so I, I was like, I'm going to stand here because I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm going to stand here until all these people, like, bumping their gums, have to look me in the eye and admit that what they were spewing out of their mouths was not true upon my life. And I stood there and I stood there and nothing changed. And I got angrier and angrier and my rage got crazy to the point where I was like, I'm gonna burn the building down. And that's not good. I would have ended up in jail because I'm not sure that I'm smart enough to do it and not get caught. You know, arson is like a real thing. And so, I really felt, in the midst of all that chaos, I really felt prompted to start reading the Bible from the beginning to end. At this point, I'm in seminary, so I've read the whole Bible, but I had never read it from start to finish. And I felt pressed to read it from start to finish. And I was like, okay. And so when I say that, like, everyone is always in, about to walk into a poop emoji. Like, it doesn't matter if it, you just came out of poop emoji you're in poop emoji, y'all get what I'm saying, right? Or you're about to go into some poop emoji, you're always dealing with some, okay? And I realized that you have to like read the Bible as you're coming out of it, in it, and walking into it. Because it's always gonna be there. And people are like, that's so negative for you to say that we're always going to be walking around in poop. But it's just sadly the truth of this world. 
So I'm sorry that I can't be positive all the time, but I'm positive that we're all going to go through crap. So the thing that we can do to work through that is to read our Bibles. And God really met me there. So I started, um, and guys, at the point of this church hurt, yes, I'm 25, but in faith years, I'm a four-year-old. I'm an innocent, Jesus-loving kid who now is getting slapped and betrayed and hurt by the family that was supposed to safeguard me. And so I started reading Genesis 38. Well, I started reading Genesis. And Genesis is so beautiful. I freaking love it. When people are like, oh, I just don't know how to get into the Bible because it's kind of boring. I'm like, just start at the beginning. Like, it's so good. It's better than novellas. And if you're on the website, I'm sure you've watched one. So read Genesis. It's literally crazy. So to talk about Genesis 38, and my friends are here, they will tell you, like, every girl who's like, oh, miss, I'm, like, struggling with this, and miss, I'm struggling, and I'm like, just read Genesis 38, like, then come talk to me, and people get so bothered sometimes that I tell them, go read the Bible, then we can talk, because I'm not trying to convict you, Jesus needs to convict you, and so I'm so grateful that I started reading this, because, and I'm a woman, so if you know the way God built us, when we tell stories, we have to give you like the backstory and like how we got there. And then after like all the details, we got a latte and the latte was like a caramel latte, right? We don't like just say we went and got coffee. So to get to Genesis 38, we have to, the guy that we're gonna meet in Genesis 38 is this guy named Judah, but his story starts way before. So he comes from this line of family. So the first one in Genesis that you meet is Abraham. And he has all kinds of drama in his life. And then he has a son named Isaac. And Isaac has a whole bunch of drama. And then Jacob has a whole bunch of drama himself. He's a little sneaky punk. And so he ends up having 12 sons because he got like three wives, three to five wives. Uh, He's trifling. And so out of those 12 sons, he has a son who is chosen. He was born as a miracle after his wife was barren and he was born from his favorite wife the wife that he always loved Rachel and so when Joseph is born they give him a colorful cloak to say you are you are special you are more loved and I always say favoring fair guys it's not like some people are just gonna be favored and this is Joseph's life and one of the brothers his name was Judah Judah, not so favored. He looks boring in the picture because he didn't get no colorful clothes. And so all the brothers harbor up this hate for him because he's chosen and he has these visions that one day he's going to be elevated to a position where his brothers will bow down to him. And so all his brothers think, bro, walking around in your little cute clothes, you ain't better than us. You have no ground and we ain't never going to bow down to you. So one day they get an opportunity to sell him. So they sell him to these people as a slave. So then he ends up in Egypt as a slave and he gets, he has his own beautiful story. If you haven't read Joseph's story, I just really encourage you to go in and dig deep because he is an incredible person that God gives us an opportunity to see struggle, but then have victory. And so in this part, when you get to Genesis 38, you see Judah, with the guilt and the hardened heart of selling his brother. Because remember, he 
Joseph was the favorite son. So when his dad had to face the fact that his favorite son was dead, all the other sons were having to live under that, that presence of that they caused their father that pain. And so I'm going to read through Genesis 38 because it, I'm going to paraphrase and read because it's so much. But I really encourage you to read it. And before the, today, I was so intimidated to share this story with people because I am such a believer that I want people to dig into God's word themselves. Not, I love that we go to church, but sometimes I get so frustrated that we show up to church waiting for, for our teachers to feed us. But we should be being fed because Sunday is supposed to be church where we come and encourage other people and bring new people and, and be disciples. But I feel like American culture has made church where we come and we take to get us through the week. And, and that's just not really how it is. And so I'm, I'm just really trusting God to like pour this out to people because if it were up to me, I would just make every single person sit in front of it for as long as I have so that they could, so God could show every single person their own message. And an example of that, my friend Audrey sitting in the back, I would always tell her, girl, just read it, just read it. Like God will show you something. And God had already shown me like 10 things in it. So I was like, I can't tell you anything till you go read it yourself. And she found that God gave her her voice and showed her that her voice mattered. He never showed me that because I, I already clearly knew that my voice mattered. <laughs> so he didn't have to teach me that lesson. But it, I love that God's word doesn't just give us one message for all of us. He's so good to like have a conversation through his word for all of us. And so seeing girls be blessed and show their own word through this story has really been like, the best part of my life with this story and so my heart breaks a little to like tell y'all all this stuff but I just pray that y'all really like dig into God's word so we find Judah he's guilty he's away from his family because he sold his brother so guilt is like literally at the forefront of who he is and now we find him he leaves his family where they live he moves to the city of Adullam and he marries a Canaanite woman, okay? He's an Israelite man. He should be marrying an Israelite woman. He has no business marrying somebody out of his culture because they can't help him preserve the, na the, the story, the calling that God has called him to. And I'm going to say it real quick because there's a lot of girls in this room. Flirt to convert don't work, okay? You're going to see it in this story. So he marries her and they have three sons. Ur, Onan, and Sheila, okay? Sheila sounds like a girl name. I don't know what happened, but you get the point. They had three sons. So in verse 6, it says, In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's, then Judah said to Ur, Ur's brother Onan, Go and marry Tamar as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. But Onan was not willing to have a child who was not his, his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground. This prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother.
But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child from his, his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life too. So now he has two dead sons. And I want to clarify. Ur, it says, Ur was wicked, a wicked man in the Lord's sight. So the Lord took his life. Who was the problem in his death happening? Ur was. Because he was wicked. The Lord saw him as wicked. So the person responsible for his wickedness, I believe, is his father and mother because they raised that man. So Ur's, it's Ur's responsibility because he is wicked, but it's also a product of Judah that he is wicked. So then the next part, his son Onan also dies at his, at his own hand. And I love Tamar myself, but if you Google her, Everybody uses her as a poster child for contraception, pro-life, all these, because he ejaculated on the floor. And there's a valid conversation to be had about all of those things. And if you want to talk about those things, you can invite me to coffee, and I'm down to go down that rabbit hole, but that's not what I'm here to talk about today. What I have really thought about this story and this part of Onan's death is, yes, I do think that what he did was wrong but the law and by honor he was supposed to give his brother a son so his job was to have in this um in this culture he was supposed to take Tamar as his wife give her a son so that she could have a son from her husband and I know that's trippy it's called a messianic culture and Thank God we don't live in it. But that was her world that she lived in. And so the only people who could give her a son and her be valid was the next son who was Onan. And it says that because he was not willing, he, he was killed by God because he was not willing to honor his brother by giving him the son that he's supposed to have and getting Tamar pregnant. So the, the sperm wasn't the problem. It was the motive. And... So then the next part says, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law. So there's still one more son, remember? The youngest. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son, Sheila, is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Sheila would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to, her, back to live in her father's home. He was afraid that his other son would die if he took Tamar as his wife. So he's trying to make the problem about Tamar. In other translations, it says he believed Tamar was cursed, so he didn't want to give her to Sheila. But the problem in the first two sons' death was not about, about Tamar. It was about the men's heart. And... I want to clarify that I'm not trying to make this talk a battle of the sexes. At the end, I will really clarify how we are all a Judah. But in this story, it just really reveals how this man dishonored this woman. And there's a book called Lioness Arising that I would encourage every single person to read that really talks about the dynamics of femininity and masculinity and how Adam and Eve are so important in, in who we are today but that's a tangent that I can't go on right now. And so he sent her back to her father's home. In Messianic culture, 
that's the worst thing you could do to a woman was send her back to her father's home with no child. Because at that point, all we were good for was bearing babies. We were just baby factories. That's all we were good for. So if she got sent back to her father's home with no son, she was worth nothing. Because nobody else is gonna wanna marry her when she already killed two of her husbands. I, I kind of low-key wouldn't marry him myself. I'd be a little scared. But that was the culture she lived in. So she goes back into her father's house and in verse 12, so fast forward some time, it says, Some years later, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hira, the Dulamite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Someone told, someone told Tamar, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. Women always find out what's going on, okay? So for the men in the room... Don't try to hide stuff. We see it on your face. We see it on your Facebook. We're going to find out. So just know that. And it says, So Tamar was aware that Sheila had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road at the entrance of the village of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. Now, what I think is important about this verse is it says Tamar was aware that Sheila was already old enough to marry her. She was aware that Judah had already chosen not to call her back and make her his, his youngest son's wife so that she could get the son that she was supposed to have. And at this point, guys, I'm already salty, okay? I've walked in this, ver- this chapter for four years, and I still get salty about it. Verse 15 says, Judah noticed her. So remember, she was sitting on the side of the street, looking all good, like a prostitute. And <laughs> back then, the prostitutes were prettier because they had, like, really nice, like, linen, like, sheer stuff. You know, now they're, like, on the corner of commerce and stuff like that. Um... It's okay, guys. I'm in women's ministry. I'm working on it, so I can stab a little. So verse 15 says, Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. She says, how much will you pay to have sex with me? Verse 17, I'll send you a young goat from my flock. Judah promised. How how a man tries to give an IOU on a prostitute, I don't know, okay? So let's just think about the condition of his heart and of his mind when he's trying to buy a prostitute with an IOU, okay? So then she says back, but what will you give me to guarantee you that you will send the goat, she asked. I wish I could go so hard into verse 18 for all the girls in this room, but I can't today. But be careful what you give away without any guarantee. I see so many girls and young men surrendering so much of themselves with no guarantee that they will be loved, taken cared for, respected, anything. Y'all can go into that tangent in your mind later, but she asked, what kind of guarantee do you want? He asked her, and she answered, 
Leave me your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick you are carrying. So Judah gave them to her. Then he had intercourse with her, and she became pregnant. Woo, first time. Afterward, she went back home, took off her veil, and put back on her widow's clothes. So she asked him for three things. His ring, his identification. Back then, that was men's signature. Their ring was their signature. They sent a letter. They would put wax, and they would stamp it with their seal. That was their family seal. And his cord and his staff. These are pieces of himself that would matter to him. You worked hard to find your staff. You had to make, create your staff and, and really cultivate it. And so these are things that he could identify as himself. So then in verse 20, it says, Later Judah asked his friend Hira, the Adulamite, to take the young goat to the women and to pick up the things he had given her as his guarantee. But Hira couldn't find her. So he asked the men who lived there, where can I find the shrine prostitute that was sitting beside the road on the entrance to Imnon? We've had no shrine prostitute here, they replied. So Hira returned to Judah and told him, I couldn't find her anywhere. And the men of the village claimed they've never had a shrine prostitute. This fool had his friend go give her the stuff that he had told her he was going to give her. And if you can't face something that you're done, you probably shouldn't do it. I'm just going to leave that there. Verse 23. Then let her keep the things I gave her, Judah said. I sent the young goat as we agreed, but you can't find her. We'd be the laughingstock of the village if we went back again to look for her. So he knows that what he did was not honorable. Because if something is honorable, no one's going to laugh at you. So he knew that what he did was not right. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has acted like a prostitute. And now because of this, she's pregnant. This is what he says. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. Okay? But remember, her face was covered. So he didn't remember. He didn't know that that was his seed. So in verse 25, it says, But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely whose seal and cord and walking stick these are. Judah recognized them immediately and said, She is more righteous than I because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Sheila. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. Thank God, because he's probably old and gross. But it says, she is far more righteous than I. In this messianic culture, the only people that could give her a rightful son was his youngest son or himself. Is that a toxic culture? Yes. But that is the world she lived in. So the only way for her to get her rightful son, her rightful child, was to have sex with one of these two men. And women are really creative as you can tell. So she got the son that she was supposed to have. And if you finish reading Genesis 38, you'll see that the twins that she gives birth to are the twins that end up putting her in the lineage of Jesus. If you look at Matthew 1, you see her name. And it's incredible to see a woman's name that had been abused and mistreated and dishonored 
in Jesus's legacy. And that I, I hate that she was put through so much, but I praise God that she was used later for something so great like Jesus. And so, again, I'm not trying to make this a battle of sexes. I love empowering men just as I love empowering women. But the flaw of this story is that the man is the, is the flawed one here. And so, as, I mean, I hope you're a little bit angry for her. I was pissed, okay? I was so angry because in this season of my life, I saw myself in her because I was being dishonored. I was being talked about. I was being treated in a way that I didn't deserve. And so after I read it, I, I'm like, I'm, I am livid. Like, like I'm blasphemous. God's, I'm like, God, why would you put this in the Bible? Why, how dare you let this woman be treated like this? I'm like going all diva on the Lord. And so I go and I tell my pastor, because my pastor's like super Christ-like and awesome. And so I go all salty with my Bible. And I'm like, why would he let this be in Bible? Why would he let this story be a part of his, his great story? And my pastor being all holy and Christ-like like he is, he tells me, well, why don't you just read it till the Lord shows you what he wants to show you? And I'm like, that's dumb. That's a dumb idea. And... But it was a really good, now, in context, it's a good idea. But in the moment, I wanted him to help me burn down the church. I wanted him to help me slap people. You know what I mean? And he didn't help me with any of that. He was telling me to act like Jesus when I didn't want to act like Jesus. So I read it, and I read it, and I read it. And every single time that I sat in front of Genesis 38, I became more and more livid. And so... Three months in, I am sitting at my mom's kitchen table. Everybody had left. And so I was like, okay, it's quiet. Cool. I'm going to read this darn story again because that's what I'm supposed to do. So I open it up again. And I hear like a whisper come over me that just says, honor, honor. I had never seen honor in this story. All I saw was dishonor betrayal, dishonesty, you name it. And so when the Lord whispered honor to me, I was like, there ain't nothing honorable in this story. What, what possibly could be honorable in this story? And one thing I want to tell you and really encourage you as young people walking in your faith is God doesn't want to yell at you, okay? I hate movies because they're like God's gonna walk in and put a light over you and say I chose you for this great commission God does yes he'll burn a bush but he wants to meet us in the quiet he wants to meet us in the dark room and the sad thing is that we are a lot of us live in the busy and the chaos that we never even can hear his whispers because we're so clouded by the loudness of our world and so God doesn't want to yell at you. He wants to whisper at you because that's the kind of God that he is. And honestly, I, I like wish that I could like revise the Bible because I would have like Jerry Springered it up. You know what I mean? I would have crossed out the her like discreet. In another, in another translation, it says that her handmaid took his things to him and told him these are the things of the man who is the father of my child. And 
I wouldn't have done that. I would have. I would have been that. My y'all watch Jerry Springer where he's like, "You are the father," and she's like, "Oh yeah, you are the whole time." You know, and they're like running up and down. It's crazy. I, that, if I was Tamar, that's what I would have done. I'd be like, "Look, fool, these are your feet. You are my baby daddy. This is yours." You know what I mean? That's how I would have been. And so, and I and I laugh, but guys, if you will just sit in God's word, like. I laugh with him like that all the time because he blows my mind. And so, um, but he, he, she doesn't shame him. She honors him. And um, I wanted Sarah to read uh, the verses in because gen- I, when I get nervous, I forget things. So, Sarah, will you read the verse that I, it's uh, from the Genesis 38. And I know I read that to you, but I'm asking you to notice how she had an opportunity. Had it been me, I would have made him a fool. But she doesn't do that. She honors him. And it made me slow down. I didn't burn down the building. I'm still here with you, so clearly I'm not in prison. And I didn't burn it down. And so in this point, remember, she that was her only way to bring value to herself, was to have a son by one of these two men. And then nine months later, I saw freedom in this story. And he showed me how, as a believer, I'm free to be who, I, who he created me to be. But as an American woman, how much freedom I have. I have the freedom to use my voice. I have the freedom to give my heart to who I want to. I have the freedom to hold or do with my body what I want and who I want to give it to, and what I want to do with my life. If somebody did, if somebody knocks us up now, y'all better wait till you get married, okay? That's my first message. But if we happen to have a child out of wedlock, or someone leaves us, we live in a culture where we can become entrepreneurs, we can be hardworking, and we can provide life for ourselves and our children. She didn't live in that culture. So it showed me how free I am to walk in who God's called me to be, like no one's business. And so I got so excited. Like when I realized we are free to love who we want, we are free to like have sex with who we want, again, in the context of marriage, okay? <laughs> and I, I, I got super pumped. I was like, this is a purity message. This is a freedom message. I'm gonna tell all my youth and all the churches I can, because I was like visiting youth groups at that point. So I go to youth groups and I'm like preaching about their freedom to like save themselves from marriage and their freedom to choose who to love. And I felt the Lord just like convict me. Because I remember I said, I said, you don't live in the times of Tamar. Like she's a thing of the past. Her life, her story is a thing of the past. And I just felt like the weight of like, the, I felt like the Lord said, oh, you're so silly. There's still Tamars out there. And I was like, okay, 
Like, I live in America. So I had no context that Tamars could even exist anymore. And so I started looking at like people like Tamar and stuff. And I realized there's girls like her still all over the world. There's still girls like her here in America. There's human trafficking, there's child brides, there's FGM, which if y'all don't know what it is, it is it's called female genital, genital uh, mutilation. And these are issues that are still happening to women in the midst of our freedom. Like we're here free, free as, as can be, but this is still happening to women all around. And I really wish that I could go like super in depth to, to that, but um, Audrey, can you pull up uh, Galatians 5.15? And so this really just, again, like, this chapter just keeps moving me into new seasons in my life. And am I, am I reading other parts of the Bible? Yes. But I keep finding myself in this story. And so Galatians 5, Audrey, will you read it? Yeah. Thank you. So this part, this part of the Bible is talking about being like Christ. And he's talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And I would really encourage you to read it. Because he talks about how if we do not live in the fruits of the Spirit, we'll live in the spirit of the, of the flesh. And the spirit of the flesh is devouring one another. That's what human trafficking is. That's what treating women like garbage is. It's, it's devouring one another. And there's child, boy, child, slaves, and all those things. So I don't want to make this just a gender issue. But at this point, this is what God has showed me. And like I said, we, we work with the Freedom Chasers. So if you're passionate about that and want to have a further conversation about that, I would love to have that with y'all. And I love that God has showed me so. And those are just two things that he showed me so clearly. He showed me so many things. But one of the best things that I feel like he showed me was that the problem is not Judah. The problem is not man. The problem was not Adam. The problem was that we were separated from God. He was the man that he was because he was separated from God. A man who loves Christ, a man who is connected to his God, a man who wants to make his God proud cannot treat a woman the way that Judah treated Tamar. That's not possible. And so I really noticed that and in seminary, they would always tell us, when you read the Old Testament, you will see Jesus. You just have to look in it long enough. And I had really been sitting in this, in this chapter for almost two years, and I could not see Jesus. I could not see how in the world I could see Jesus in this story. But he, so I asked him, Lord, open my eyes to see you, please. And he didn't show me himself. He showed me me. He showed me how I'm separated from him. How because of sin and because of what Adam and Eve did, as a human, I would always be separated. And Tamar had, she had the um, vantage point of, she, all she needed to do to be made righteous in her situation was to have a son. But at the end of that, Yes, but she was still human. So she needed to be made right with God. And so I really started to see that we're all Judah. We're all separated from God. And we need to be put back in a good place with God. 
Because when we're in a right place with God, we can honor people. We can love people. We can treat them the way that Christ wants us to treat them. But when we are separated from him, we can't do that. And so everywhere people are separated. The people who are lost are separated. People who are in front of their, sitting in front of their TV Sunday morning are separated. But even people sitting in church can be separated. People sitting in bars. I, I was separated from God. I first was separated from God because I was lost, and then I was separated from him because I was angry. And I had to come to the realization that I could not live in that. If I'm going to live in the spirit of God, I can't do that. And so my guilt and my shame and my hurt was keeping me separated. And I just really had to. And when I got asked to be here, I was like, well, I guess I just get to tell them about being separated. They need Jesus. And I was like, I guess, I hope that's enough, you know. And then this week at our young adults, uh, during worship time, I don't even know how. And, and this is why I always tell people, read your word, pray, worship, because God will deposit things in your mind that you can't explain. I was sitting there in worship. I wasn't reading it. I wasn't being intentional about trying to tell you something cool. I was just worshiping. And literally the Lord deposited in me. And just showed me, Tamar changed her clothes. And I was like, what do you mean Tamar changed her clothes? What are you talking about? And she changed her clothes so that she could be, she could get what she needed, was to be made righteous in the sight of her family. But we can't change our clothes. I can change them all day long, but that is not going to make me any better appearing to God. The only thing that can make me righteous with God is being covered by the blood of Jesus. And I was like, oh, my God, four years later, Jesus is in the text. Thank God. And I literally, like, just, I used to cry so much. And this year has been so happy that I feel like my tear ducts are, like, not letting me cry anymore. But I feel like I wanted to cry because I was so happy to finally, like, have the peace that I felt I've been missing in this story for the past four years. And so I realized that, like, God God knew that we couldn't change anything about ourselves. He gave us the law. We messed that up. And he had to come down from heaven to put on humanity, to show us how to do it. And I, I just realized that as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we, there's nothing we could do to be righteous and in Philippians 2 sorry I need to get my Bible it says who being in very nature God did not consider himself equal with God something to be used for his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man he humbled himself and became obedient to death on the cross she changed her clothes but he changed everything about his place so that he could cover us and that just blows my mind that a god who lived in a perfect divine place would come down and put on our skin and put on our flesh to show us that it was possible to walk in a godliness and that it was possible to be covered by him. 
And so I just really encourage y'all to dig into the word and to figure out he's already covered us with the blood, but we have to let him dwell his spirit in us. And something that breaks my heart is that every single day that we as believers don't read the word of God, we grieve the Holy Spirit because the word of God is supposed to bring to life this wonderful thing that is the Holy Spirit, but we grieve it. And so I just encourage y'all to, to, if you're not covered in the blood, be covered. And if you have the Holy Spirit, empower it. And that's just my prayer for y'all. And I'm going to invite Homer back up. Can we give Carmen a hand? What a powerful message that she gave us today. And I want y'all to just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I feel like there's so many moments where we hear messages. There's parts that we identify with, parts that we don't. There's parts that make us think, some deeper than others. But sometimes we don't have a a point of decision. We don't have a point that's pivotal for us. And I want you to have that moment today. That if you're here and you feel like you've received something, but you need that, that moment where there's a shift a point where a change is made. The best place to start is simply with a prayer to Jesus. The book of Romans makes it so easy for us and says all you have to do is believe in your heart, confess Jesus rose from the dead, and you shall be saved. That That's where all of this starts is with a conversation with God. And so with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to just raise up your hand. Amen. I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you rose your hand, or if you already have that, that point that you made with Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer too as a reaffirmation, as a reminder of that moment. Say, Lord Jesus, I remember you. From when I was young, from when I was old, I remember you. I ask that you be the Lord of my life again. Be the Savior to my soul. Help me to understand your ways. Help me to understand this life. You died on the cross and you rose from the dead. And there is redemption in you. I believe you. I trust you. And my hope is in you. In Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.